I'm shook. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Holly Shook Podcast. My name is Ryan, and I'm joined, as always, over my sometimes spotty Wi-Fi connection. Armin, how are you? I'm doing great, Rye. I hope you have a little bit better Wi-Fi in your next space. This is the last ever podcast that we're doing while you are in the studio. Oh my god, I didn't even think about that until right now. End of an era, Rye. Oh my gosh, end of an era. Thank God, though, seriously. (laughs) I'm excited to be out of the studio. I am moving. For those of you who don't know, I don't know why any of you would know. Um, I'm moving out of my studio into a one-bedroom apartment in the Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago, which is a neighborhood I've loved since I've moved here. So I'm so excited to move um, this coming week. Yeah, I'm like, it's going to feel like an upgrade. I'm going to feel even bougier when I record my podcast now. It is an upgrade. It's amazing. I'm so happy for you. Yeah, and I'm going to have to get bigger Wi-Fi, I think, too, because don't you buy Wi-Fi based on how much space it can like take? You, you got to get huge Wi-Fi, right? Like the Ugh. biggest there is. All the bandwidth <laughs> in the world. I'll just pay for my whole building's Wi-Fi. Just <laughs> What a good Samaritan you are. Thank you. Um, oh my gosh. Well, end of the era. Last podcast in this um, a little studio. I've been here since I've moved to Chicago, so it's so weird. Um, well, you were at that other place, weren't you? The place that talk- flooded? We don't talk about that place. <laughs> that didn't count. I saw you posted that video uh, recently, I think on Twitter, right? Yeah, because my... So technically, I lived in one one other apartment since moving to Chicago, but I was there for less than six weeks because my fourth day in Chicago, the entire apartment flooded, and it was like three feet of water. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when Ryan says flooded people, he is not exaggerating. It was flooded. I usually, um, I usually am exaggerating and dramatic, but it was legit a flood. Um, but not talking about that anymore. I'm over it. Um, also, there I, I go I, again, reciting your social media posts. I, I think I know them all by heart. Oh my god, I forgot that you literally are a, um, a uh, historian of Ryan's social media. I'm a I Ryan Alkair Twitter historian. Um, speaking of historians, <laughs> um, we have we're gonna do a breakdown of this week's celebrity pop culture stories, and um, we actually have some really fun, fun, crazy ones this week um should i get it started i think you should get it started okay so we're going to start off with that new segment that we recently launched the celebrity stories rundown segment which is like a little more fun a little less serious not all scandal just celebrity happenings because we're interested in that too yes and the first one is about matthew mcconaughey joining the university of texas as a professor He's going to be teaching film. I can't take it seriously already. (laughs) So before I get into some of the details, Rai, I have to say, it's been quite the decade for Matthew McConaughey. He started off the decade, I feel like he either started off the decade in a rut or ended the last one in a rut where he was just in this cycle of like poorly performing rom-coms, if you remember. Yeah. Oh, I remember. Failure to launch. Failure to launch. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And then at the beginning of this decade, we had the McConaissance. 
Oof. <laughs> True Detective, uh, Dallas Buyers Club. He's winning Oscars. He's winning Emmys. He's doing it all. I don't know if you actually won an Emmy, but he definitely won an Oscar. He won some... I feel like he did win an Emmy or something, too, which is a lot. <laughs> he was definitely nominated for an Emmy and the Golden Globe, if I'm not mistaken, for True Detective. He was really killing it, and everyone was dubbing it the McConaissance, right? Then, no, dubbed it that, just you. No one did that? Are you kidding me? Right, Google <laughs> McConaissance. I was not the only one calling it the McConaissance. Mm, first I've heard, but okay. <laughs> I feel like I did invent the McConaissance, but I don't think I could prove it. It just sounds like something you would have come up with, so I'm just going to say that it was you. It is very me. I love to uh, sance things. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> so we get the reconnaissance. I guess I'm, I was the only one saying it. Yep. Middle of the decade, after winning an Oscar, after his critically acclaimed appearance on True Detective, he suddenly starts doing Lincoln commercials. Right. And the whole premise of the commercials <laughs> was that he didn't need to do the commercials and that they weren't like enticing him with like gobs of money. It was just that he loved Lincoln and he wasn't driving a Lincoln because they were paying him to drive a Lincoln. He has always been driving Lincoln. Do you remember those commercials? Yeah, unfortunately I do. It's so strange. Cause like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I always seem like so shocked when celebrities do like commercials, if that makes sense. Like if they're, if they're doing really well in their like acting career and then they start doing commercials, I'm always like, I don't know. It's weird. I mean, I'm sure they get a shit ton of money for it, but I don't know. I don't want to say it's like artist, like, is it like artistically, like creatively enticing for them? I don't get it. Zero percent. It's fully selling out, but you know, get that bag. I get it. Yeah. But it's like very different from, I think other celebs who you could tell they're like, Maybe maybe there's a little more like brand like brand synergy between what they're advertising and who they are, but like celebs, I feel rarely do the car commercial. The yeah, car, the car commercial is sure. usually generic. You don't even yeah. see the person in the car. The car is just like driving around and like doing donuts, and they're like, "This car is four wheel drive. It could handle right. any terrain. Did you ever want to fly this car off of a snowy mountain? This car could do it." And it's like I would never do any of those things. Can you get me from point A to point B? Trained driver on a closed course. <laughs> so you have McConaughey, and here's what's different, as you alluded to. He's going from an Oscar to a Lincoln commercial. I feel like that is unprecedented. Like you said, sometimes celebrities go through ruts, or they're just not doing a lot of work, or they're doing mediocre work, and it's like, why not just get a huge multi-million dollar paycheck for a L'Oreal campaign? I feel like L'Oreal always gets celebrities. Yeah, I feel like, but like beauty commercials feel a little bit more celebrity based because it's like people are like, I want to look like them, you know. Or even alcohol. I think Ray Liotta did a commercial for 1800 or something. Anyway, back on track. My whole point is that Matthew McConaughey has had a very turbulent decade in a way. It's like very up and down, very all over the place. And it ends, it concludes right at the end of 2019 with him suddenly becoming a film professor. Look, as someone who has a film degree and had many a film professor, like, I can't deal with this. I don't know. It just seems like, like, if you go on to, like, read about this, the class is going to focus on his, it's like a script to screen class, which is interesting. It's like, how does it come, how does it all come together, come together from the page to, like, what you see. 
But then it's like his the class this coming semester will study Matthew McConaughey's movies. So then he's going to be just teaching about his own movies. I'm like, this seems weird. Like, I don't know. That's my favorite part about it is that Matthew McConaughey is going to teach film. He's like, I want to show you guys my filmography. Right. Have you ever seen Mud? Have you ever seen The Lincoln Lawyer? And people are going to be like, no. And then it's just going to be strange. Like, I get that. I get having like a instruct like a guest instructor, I guess, if that makes sense. But the fact that he's like teaching a whole semester is like so chaotic to me. And like I had a friend who took James Franco's class at UCLA about screen I think it was screenwriting or something. Really? And it was just so weird. Like I would ask her about it and it's like, Oh, we're we're like invited to his New Year's Eve party and stuff and I'm like, But you're like his students. <laughs> it's just so weird. And with McConaughey, it feels all very self-promotional, like you said, with the doing only his movies. And they're going to cover his upcoming movie? Right, that that hasn't even come out yet. It's like, okay, so now it's just like an advertisement (laughs) to get people to see your movie. (laughs) It's so bizarre. But apparently he has been a visiting instructor since 2015. But now he's actually going to teach his own course at the Moody College of Communication at the University of Texas. And this is a quote from McConaughey. It's the class I wish I would have had when I was in film school. Working in the classroom with these students gives me a chance to to prepare them. And apparently he actually graduated from the University of Texas with a film degree. And then he goes on to say, Making movies, turning words on paper into film, is both a science and art, no matter the time or generation. The elements of truth and genuine joy for the process are timeless. That will be our classroom focus. Along with, of course, promoing his movies. <laughs> Along with, here's the new trailer for my movie coming up. Fall 2020. <laughs> um, I just, like, I can't, like, I hated film school. I didn't hate film school, but, like, I hated the people in film school with me. Like, pretty much everyone I went to film school with is, like, so annoying. Except for a select few. You know who you are. Um, and the like, annoying ones, you know who you are, too. Trust me, they know. I, like, did not make a lot of friends in the film production, like, group. I don't know, the school, the film school. Because everyone was, like, so pretentious and, like, thinks that they're just, like, their, like, fucking student film is, like, this is art and this is, like, film. And, like, I don't know. I just Cinema! Like, yeah, like... And, look, I'm a film nerd. Like, I'm not dissing the craft of filmmaking. Um, I love to, like geek out over all the technical aspects of it and the writing and like I love movies you're always talking mise-en-scene mise-en-scene I love mise-en-scene um (laughs) that that was a diegetic sound okay (laughs) but I just think that this is like the fucking annoying ass pretentious people that go to film school like this is made for them and they're gonna like fucking thrive off this and I can just I'm just like having PTSD flashbacks of like if this happened at my school like and in like a class that I took, I would have like wanted to pass away the whole time because I would have been so annoyed. Like it's just gonna be the annoying ass film people like asking questions to Matthew Mahane. It's like, you know, like when they do a screening and they do like a f- audience QA afterwards. Right. And there's always any advice for young filmmakers trying to make it in the industry. And then their response is like, just don't give up. <laughs> And I'm like, it just seems like a semester of that, and I'm going to kill myself. Yeah, you're like, first day of class, you see McConaughey come in, and you're like, 
Wait, McConaughey's our professor? Oh, I'm dropping. I'm dropping this class. Oh, I would have dropped in a heartbeat. <laughs> it's funny you no. mentioned the Q&A thing. Have I ever told you the time I went to see uh, Boyhood and there was a Q&A with Richard Linklater afterwards? Oh, God. What a nightmare. Did it last 20 years? <laughs> it lasted three decades, not even two, <laughs> unlike his uh, Beanie Feldstein and, uh, what was it, Ben Platt? I, uh, yeah, Ben Platt. <laughs> I saw that today. I'm like, no, no, no. He's just going to keep doing multi-decade stories. He's going to be 80 and say, I'm starting a 40-year project, people. <laughs> going to, like, produce edit from the grave. Well, so I asked the last question of the Q&A, and my question was, <laughs> and my question was, are you going to make a sequel called Adulthood? <laughs> and, like, everyone laughed. They thought it was the best question. No, they did He didn't. loved it. A few months later, he's doing an interview and he says, you know, I've been thinking about doing a sequel about this boy's adulthood, chronicling his life from, you know, his early 20s through middle age. I gave him that idea. Richard Linklater, I'm coming after you, man. That's my IP. You should be a co-producer. <laughs> That's terrible. I want to die. He can't do two movies at the same time that spans 20 years. Why not? I mean, they're only shooting like a couple times a year, like a few days a year. Okay, true, actually. Co-producer. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, link later. You know where That's to find me. They pay you the big bucks. Um, but back to McConaughey. Yeah. Not surprised. Uh, I was... Once on a flight with McConaughey to Brazil, uh, I told that story on Patreon in great detail. But uh, <laughs> Failure to Launch was actually one of the movies on the plane, offered on the plane. Oh, so good. And Camille and I were joking. <laughs> like, we, we kept saying, oh, yeah, we bet Matthew McConaughey's watching Failure to Launch right now. <laughs> oh, my God. He should be. Everyone should be watching Failure to Launch. It's How so good. However, however, on the flight, I briefly, uh, you know, spoke to McConaughey on my way to my seat because, of course, he was in first class and I was, you know, back with uh, the other plebeians. The peasants. The peasants, the peasant class. And as I was walking and I saw McConaughey, I was thinking to myself, what, what should I say to him? I can't say I loved you in True Detective. I can't say one of your big movies um, because everyone says that. So I, I, I did a great pull, right? And I say... Hey, man, love your work. One of my favorite movies is A Time to Kill, which is his breakout role. It's actually a good movie, and he loved it. Speaking of A Time to Kill... <laughs> it's funny how every time you talk to a celebrity, they just seem to love it. They do. I, I don't know what it is about me. I guess I'm just good with celebrities. It's the Armin charm. <laughs> the Charmin. Hey! Um, good. <laughs> but the director of A Time to Kill... Joel Schumacher was actually in the news this week, right? Was he? He was. So, wasn't that amazing how that tied together? It's really strange how you kind of just, your life, along with celebrity news cycles, kind of just meld into one sometimes. Forget the six degrees of bacon, it's the two degrees of Armin. <laughs> I need to go. <laughs> See ya. Um... So anyway, Joel Schumacher gave this interview to uh, Vulture, and it was quite interesting. A lot of um, fascinating tidbits. Of course, Schumacher's been in the industry for like five decades. A lot of big hits, a lot of well-regarded movies, uh, some not so well-regarded movies, but he's been around forever. And there's one part of the interview where the interviewer, Andrew Goldman, 
asks him, have you ever guessed the number of partners you've had? And Schumacher goes, it would be in the double-digit thousands, but that is not unusual. And then Goldman responds, double-digit thousands? You mean like 2,000 or 3,000? And Schumacher goes, that's not double digits. That's single digits. Ew, uh... Goldman goes 20,000 or 30,000. And then Schumacher's like 10 or 20. And then, and then he says, and, and Goldman's like, oh, that's amazing. And then Schumacher says, it's not amazing for a gay male because it's available. Okay. I don't know math, but like 30, like 20,000 people. How many days are in a year? 365. Oh, this would be over a person a day over the span of his life. That's what I'm saying. And, like, that's fine. But you've got to at least count out the first, like, 10 years. Because, I mean, I assume most people don't really have sex until at least 10. I don't know. Well, but. you don't know Joel Schumacher. He does say later in the interview. Um, well, the, the interviewer says... You, you have often alluded in interviews to also having quite a bit of sex since you were a youngster. And then Schumacher goes, the whole thing started as a joke when I was asked by journalists some question and I said, I'm overpaid, I'm overprivileged, and I'm oversexed. That was a joke. Most gay men have many partners because it's not a very no culture. I started drinking at nine, smoking at 10, and fooling around sexually when I was 11. So he did start around at around 11 years old. Okay, well, I said he started after 10, so I'm actually correct. Um, okay, so my other thing that annoys me about this is, like, if I started drinking at 9, I would be, like, literally dead, probably. <laughs> Let alone, like, not a famous director. This is why Schumacher is Schumacher. This is why he's the director of Phantom of the Opera, one of your favorite movies. And the only movie by him I've seen. Um, it's such a good movie. He gave... So he not only gave... Matthew McConaughey's big break. He gave Emmy Rossum her big break as well as Christine. Is it Christine? Oh, no. I don't remember. <laughs> I think it's Christine in um, Phantom of the Opera. If I'm wrong, please evoke my gay card immediately. I've seen that movie a thousand times. Um, okay, but back to having slept with 20,000 people. Um, oh, yeah. There's no way that's true. I'm nervous. I'm scared. <laughs> I mean, he's old, so maybe like... He does, he forgot how to count, but um, <laughs> I'm that just, could be. Or he just like he's like so old. He's like yeah, twenty thousand, and he like thinks that's like a normal number. <laughs> um, he has no conception of math or numbers. Yeah, which like same, but I can at least conceptualize that part of it. So he's eighty uh, years old, and he's been having sex since he was eleven. So that's sixty nine years of sex. Hey. hey Yeah, it is. <laughs> Sch- Schumacher just knows exactly when to time these little interviews, doesn't he? These little tidbits. He's like, I'm 69 years of sex. <laughs> years old of sex. Um, well, he's crazy. Um, but you know what? Good for her. You know? He's been having sex for 25,185 days. So technically, he's had... Sex, I guess, what, four out of every five days is what he's saying? He's basically gone 5,000 days without having sex. Loser. (laughs) Fucking nerd. Schumacher, what were you doing those other 5,000 days? Yeah, just being a loser. (laughs) Um, 
Well, good for him. You know, I n- there's n- we don't suck shame on this podcast. No. We don't kink shame. We don't anything shame. We're actually always positive and never rude or make fun of anyone. If you're a true fan, you would know that. Um, so really actually proud of him. And um, he seems to be doing great. I mean, 80 years old, he's been uh, drinking for 71 years of his life, smoking for 70, and fucking for 69. Yeah, he's doing great. Gerard Butler. He discovered Gerard Butler. He played the Phantom. What has Schumacher not done? Who hasn't he discovered? Honey, someone give him my number, bitch. I've been waiting. And who hasn't he fucked? If he wants to make it 20,001, I'm available. Sorry, Dallas. Sometimes you gotta sleep your way to the middle. But Um, see, you want to be discovered and fucked. Do you think he double dips like that? Do you think there's overlap? I mean, let's not... He didn't not touch Gerard Butler, let's just say. (laughs) A gay man doesn't hire Gerard Butler for his talent. (laughs) Okay? Um, Speaking of Just the abs. (laughs) Speaking of... Speaking of talent gone too soon, um, (laughs) and gay men getting what they want, Ed Sheeran stopping making music. Which is great for us. Um, Are we anti Sheeran? Here's the thing: I love. I used to love Ed Sheeran. Like his first album, um, my friends and I were obsessed with in high school. I remember being obsessed with it the first time I went to New York City. First time I went to New York City, other than when I was in middle school. So I was like kind of older, seventeen, almost eighteen. Um, and what? No, I was seventeen. <laughs> I was sixteen, almost seventeen. I don't fucking know. Um, You're about as good at math as Joel Schumacher is. At sex. Um, <laughs> and I remember listening to the Ed Sheeran album, like walking around New York City and just being like, I, I love it. Um, so I used to love Ed Sheeran. His first album was great. His second album was pretty good too. Then his third album, I was like, I don't know about this. And then that stupid Shape of You song, I'm like, it's canceled. Um, Shape of You is the one song I could literally go the rest of my life without hearing and be so happy. Um, and that dumb troll song from Justin Timberlake. And it's quite literally canceled apparently. Well, he's quite literally canceled, but like the thing about that song is, sorry, I'm going on a tangent about just that song. (laughs) Um, it's so, it was everywhere. Obviously it was like everywhere. Um, and then Dallas and I went to freaking Thailand Apparently, it's the only song that they ever knew about in Thailand because every fucking restaurant, bar, store, like car was playing Shape of You by Ed Sheeran like on fucking repeat for two straight weeks. And then one night, Dallas and I were trying to go to bed. It was freaking late. And the like room next to us at the hotel was blasting Shape of You. And I'm not even kidding you. Like just once, they played Shape of You four times in a row. Oh no! And you know what oh that God. means, I right? To rip my fucking ears out. Um, that was their sex song. No, because they were pre-gaming for a party. Like they were like in the hallway doing it. Who pre-games to Shape of You? And mind you, not playing it once, but playing it on repeat four times. You guys, four times in a row. It's one of my worst memories of my entire life. Um. Anyway, so fuck that song. Fuck Ed Sheeran. <laughs> um. It's just so random how he's so famous. Anyway, I did see him in concert in college. I cried. Um, but that was before Shape of You. He should have never done Shape of You. I'd still be a fan. So I guess he was in a concert um, in 
Ipswich, Ipswich, England, um, wherever the heck that is. And they, and he said that this is very, there is something very sweet, bittersweet about it. I love that you guys are here and we are ending it in Ipswich. This is my last gig for probably 18 months. So he's been touring for two years. He's taking a break from music, taking a break from touring. Um, apparently he's just getting sued up the wazoo, um, for stealing shit. So I guess it says that he like ripped off. Okay. First off, I don't really get this cause it says that he took part of Marvin Gaye's song. Let's get it on for his song thinking out loud. And I'm like, I can't really think of a connection. Sometimes it's so subtle and they kind of have to like take pieces out of the song if they have maybe if they have access to the masters like at the trial, so then they could find that like layer that is stealing directly from another song. I remember reading about how these trials go during the Blurred Lines trial because that was one of the more high profile ones about copyright. Do you remember yeah. when Blurred Lines when yeah 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 when um. Pharrell and uh, what's the other dude's name? Robin Thicke. Robin Thicke. <laughs> you, you had that one ready to go. Well, it's iconic, even though it's problematic. Um, but yeah, anyway, so they got sued. And I remember reading about the trial and how they would play the audio out there. You know, you have to play it and yeah. prove your case. So who knows? Maybe one piece of it really does copy directly from Marvin Gaye's Let's Get On. I, but I've never heard Thinking Out Loud, or at least I can't think of how that song goes. You- You've heard Thinking Out Loud, okay? What, what, what song is that? I'm thinking out loud. You. Uh, Doesn't ring a bell. Yes, it does. It's like ev- It was like everyone who got married in 2014's wedding song. Um, what, uh, what, how else does it go? It's so good. I'm thinking out loud. Baby, yeah. Okay, well, oh, that it. one, that one. Da, 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 da. Right, right, yeah. right. <laughs> but I can't think of any like let's get it on. Right, right. Huh. Other than I'm thinking out loud, but that's totally different. Any hoosers. What's so I Shape of You? That. See, I thought Shape of You was that song. I was thinking of out loud? No, Shape of You is I'm in love with the shape of you. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay. Uh, See, I don't actually <laughs> This is no. not my kind of music, so I don't know like these songs, but I just know like, oh, that's an Ed Sheeran song. But I don't even Ed learn Sheeran the title of the song. Everyone's type of music. Um, I like that Thinking Out Loud song, though. Whenever it would play on the radio. That is a really good song. That's the thing is he used to be so good. And then it was like Shape of You came out. And I'm like, oh, fucking rip my ears out. Um, so I guess he's like getting sued for that. And then um, he... Like in a weird chain of events, but honestly, this is what he deserves. Um, he doesn't get any of his money from Shape of You after another artist, Sam Shokri, um, says that he took his chorus, took his chorus of his own song called Oh Why, and he claims that he had sent that song to Ed Sheeran's team as like a way to be like, we should work together. And then they took his chorus and changed it into Shape of You. Um, That's so, so now- shysty. My thing is, like, they're not dumb enough to do that, I feel. Um, well, he's already been blocked from receiving royalties for his own song, so I think there's probably a lot of proof to, a lot of evidence that this went down. Yeah, it just, like, blows my mind. I'm like, how can we be so dumb to, like, literally steal someone else's song, you know? It's both dumb, but it's also greedy. I think greed, like, kind of overpowers the ability to be 
intelligent in that situation and assess it and go, yeah, we're probably going to be screwed screwed over this. Yeah, they just wanted it. They're like, Shape of You, it's too enticing. Like, that song's going to be a big hit. Let's do it. We'll make all the money we can until we're blo- blocked from receiving royalties. And boy, did they. I'm sure they made a shit ton of money from that song. I mean, the guy next to me in the hotel probably gave him fucking $100 the amount of times he played that song. Um, okay, so speaking of bad music, um, <laughs> Eddie Murphy, also speaking of Eds, all the Eds. It's an um, Ed thing, isn't it? It's a total Ed move to just like have something in the tabloids this weekend. So Eddie Murphy um, is going to come back to SNL and he's doing it. Um, he's going to do stand up SNL as his opening monologue, obviously. Um, and he, he got a $70 million deal with Netflix to do stand up too. Yeah. So he's getting back into stand up, which is crazy. Um, so excited for that. Love Eddie. Love, love some Eddie Murphs. Um, but he also has randomly dropped that he's been making music this whole time. Like, um, obviously we know he's a talented musician as showcased in Dream Girls. He should have won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. I'll fight you on it. Um, he famously lost to Alan Arkin in Little Miss Sunshine, which was also a great performance, but just not the same as Eddie Murphy's in Dream Girls. But he has been making music apparently this whole time. And his quote, he's quoted as saying, 100 years from now when I'm gone, they'll find all these tracks and they'll be like, wow, we didn't even know this guy. We had no idea. Whatever muscle I use to be funny, I have a muscle to do music. And I use them both all the time. I've never stopped doing music. But I did stop putting it out because the audience gets weirded out by it. And I don't want to be that guy. Um, I do have to contest your claim that it's bad music, though. Because I have to say, party all the time is catchy. I want to party all the time. Party all the time. Party all the time. But anyone can do one catchy song. But can he make hundreds of catchy songs? We'll find out yeah. in a hundred years. I mean, who does he think he is? That Sharon? <laughs> what episode I, of Holly like, Shook will that be? Episode 1,000, a hundred years from now when we're covering Eddie Murphy and, his, and the release of his discography? Bitch, I will be have been dead for like 50 years by then. <laughs> um, <laughs> the entire globe will be on fire. Yeah, wait, we're not even making it past 2030, honey. Um, <laughs> but... I'm going into an existential crisis. <laughs> yeah, what world is Eddie Murphy living in where in a hundred years we're, <laughs> we're worried about his tracks? Right. In a hundred years, our biggest find will be the fossils of Eddie Murphy's tracks, not the fossils of the entire humankind. Right. That, that's our greatest concern is evaluating Eddie Murphy's dozens of tracks that he's recorded over the course of three decades. Yeah. And also, like, why did you only make 12 tracks in three, f- 30 fucking years? <laughs> Work I actually just threw dozens out there. I don't know how many he's made. Maybe he's made hundreds. I don't know. He's probably made hundreds, one per year. Um, <laughs> he's 100 years old now. Um, well, here's the thing. I'm excited to have, for an Eddie Murphy comeback. I love Eddie Murphy. Um, we stand a, problemat- a non-problematic king. He's probably problem- problematic in some form. But, he's been problematic in the past. Yeah. But he has some great performances. Donkey... Donkey and Shrek. In Shrek, um, yes, yes. Dream Girls, Nutty Professor. Trading Angel, Places. Trading Places, Angels in America. Um, coming to America. Coming to America is what I meant. Um, <laughs> Daddy Daycare. Daddy Daycare is great. Beverly Hills Cop. Okay, we get it. 
pull up the IMDb people if you want to keep knowing his freaking movies. They Raw, were Delirious. Those are his two famous stand-up specials. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I famously don't watch stand-up specials, so I will not be watching this. But Do you um, famously I'm, not watch stand-up specials? I can't stand them. <laughs> hey! Uh, he's a regular comedian, guys. I don't know. Something about watching stand-up like, weirds me out as someone who famously does stand-up sometimes. Um, I just like feel uncomfortable, and I'm like, I can't sit, I, I can't sit still and watch it for like an hour. Especially by myself. I've tried to watch them by myself, and I'm just like, wait, what? I don't know. I feel like stand-up you have to like experience in a, in a crowd setting. But no one I know wants to like sit and watch stand-up with me either, because I don't even want to watch it. <laughs> um, so it's just a weird kind of complex. Essentially, the crux of the problem is that you just don't want to watch stand-up, live or otherwise. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I just don't want to watch it. Um, and also, it's really fun because a lot of times I'll tell people that, and they'll be like, well, good luck with your career. And I'm like, thank you. Um, so I'm doing great and everything's fine. <laughs> Just going along with the whole existential crisis motif of this podcast. Something about packing up my life for two years has really thrown me for a loop, you guys. Um, I can actually feel that. I feel like you haven't quite confronted the fact that you are leaving this space that you've lived in for two years and have had a lot of memories in. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> about uh, that. I don't think it's the space. I think it's just the fact that I have not packed enough and I should have by now. Um, I don't know. When Camille and I moved from that apartment, I was like, oh, who cares? It's just the space. And not that I've ever had an existential crisis like the one you're going through currently. Right. But every now and then I'll drive by it or we'll think about it and I'll go, man, I miss that place. We had some good times there. Yeah. No, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll miss it a little bit I, um, in terms of, I guess nostalgia's sake and sentimental like feelings, but I will not miss actually living in the space. That's for sure. I'll miss the, I'll miss the, the time, the growth that I had as a person while occupying the space. Remember the time that I was sleeping on your little love seat, my legs dangling off of it, snoring, Mm -hmm. keeping you up at night. (laughs) Keeping you up for an entire week at that seven full days. Um, (laughs) We did try to do an air mattress. It had a hole in it, so that was good. <laughs> um, and, and for those who don't know, an air mattress isn't very effective when it has a hole in it. Yes. Um, just fun fun little housekeeping tip for you guys listening. PSA. Uh, a little PSA. We love our PSAs PSA. on this podcast. Make sure you don't have holes in your air mattresses. Otherwise, surprisingly, they will not work, um, especially when a human body is on top of that. <laughs> especially. Um, Speaking of human bodies, um, uh, our new, our new, is this a new segment? It's a new segment. New segment. How about you introduce that? Okay. So I just thought of this segment because, you know, why not? Let's just introduce new segments all the time. We introduce new segments every week and then we just never do them again. That's like kind of our thing. (laughs) Well, at least we repeated the Celebrity Stories Rundown. We did Celebrity Stories Rundown. Other than that, I feel like Guessing Game is the only one we've done like every week on our regular regular pods true but that's a part of the structure you know exactly so this is a new segment we'll see how often we repeat it i feel like we can repeat it often um let's see how it goes this is the favorite tabloid headline of the week because some of these tabloid headlines are hilarious like i don't know if you ever go on daily mail it'll just be like taylor swift wore boots on her way to get coffee yeah (laughs) 
It's just ridiculous. Yeah. So this one is courtesy of page six. And here is the headline. And we'll talk a little bit about the story. Quote, fans think Bradley Cooper's new mustache makes him look like Jeff Foxworthy. End quote. I hate it. I really hate that. Um, it's all things ridiculous. How can you go from Bradley Cooper to Jeff Foxworthy? It's one of the great insults to Coop. Um, but when you do look at the side-by-side, this mustache does kind of make him look like Jeff Foxworthy. I did see a picture of him. Um, I'm going to have to d- disagree with this um, headline because I will say that when I saw the picture of Bradley Cooper with his mustache, I was not not into it. Maybe you're not not into Jeff Foxworthy. I'm definitely not into Jeff Foxworthy. Wasn't he the one who hosted Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? He may have. <laughs> Which I famously tried out for once. But um, <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> I did. I went through this phase where I tried out for like reality game shows. It was really weird. I never got on one. I'd be bad at all of them. But no, I think he looked good. The internet's mean. And the thing with the mustache is it, you shave it off, okay? Let him wear it for a week. It doesn't affect you guys. Freaking go for it. I will not because I actually one time did try to have a mustache just like as I was shaving and I like kind of stopped with just a mustache. And I was like, I didn't hate it, but I don't feel like I could like carry it, you know? You can't pull it off. Right, like I think it looked fine, but I don't think I have the swagger, if you will. I famously will leave just a mustache for about like one day. I don't love the look, but people seem to like it. But I feel like it's more of like a like a curiosity. Like, oh, you never do that. But I, I do it somewhat. But again, it's like for 24 hours. And the next day I shave it so it could be kind of even with the rest of the facial hair. Yeah, I feel that. I mean... Look, men's facial hair, it's a its a sensitive subject, you know. Um, it's very sensitive. We have meetings about it. We talk about it. We go through therapy about it. And there's a fine line, you know. There's a fine line between it being nice and it being weird and creepy, especially with a mustache. Um, one of my coworkers right now has a terrible mustache, and it's very unfortunate. But he, um, his reasoning for keeping it was when my dad was my age, he had a great mustache, so I feel like I have to carry on his legacy. And I go, honey, sometimes legacies are meant to be ended. They're supposed to be done and finished with. Um, sometimes you carry on a legacy in memory. In memory. You know, take a picture from the scrapbook and put it on your wall and call it a day. And then take your razor and get that fucking thing off your face. I hate looking at you. And I the, hate interacting with you. There's a reason why Michael Jordan's sons don't play in the NBA, right? They're, they're not going to carry on his legacy playing basketball. Um, because fact, they just aren't good at it. Probably going to ruin his legacy, just like my coworker has ruined his father's mustache's legacy. Um, it's pretty selfish, actually. And why is it bad? Handlebars? What's he doing? It's like, I don't know what it is. It's like too long and like not full enough. And like, it just looks weird. And I'm just like, no. And everyone agrees and everyone's told him without telling him, you know, they go, that's a, that's a mustache. <laughs> He's like, yeah, thanks. And we're like, didn't didn't say a compliment. Uh, stated an objective fact. That is a mustache. Stated what I saw in front of me. Well, I feel like we covered the most important news this week um, based on especially that final topic that really needed to be covered. Um, the people needed to know. As we often say, you know, um, these stories, they have global impact. Global impact. 
international implications. But I'm glad that I'm glad that we can take the responsibility of kind of just like letting people know and getting it out there, um, and really just making a difference in in this world today. That's what we're here for. But everyone, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it, and we will see you soon. Talk to you soon. I mean.